0: Hello everybody, this is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 107. Thanks so much for joining me. Our main guest today is Marcella Shulak. She will be here in about 15 minutes, but before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, so make sure you click the like button and um, share and subscribe and all that good stuff. And, and seriously, please do, because um, it used to be that Facebook would count comments, I think, in their um, distribution feed ratings. I don't think they do anymore. Um, so especially I've been testing it out with the um, Critique of the Week. And um, just because a lot of people are commenting and sharing their suggestions on the poems there on Friday that we do the Critique of the Week, um, it doesn't spread as far as this broadcast does um, because I say share. So the sharing really actually helps, especially on Facebook. On YouTube, maybe it doesn't matter as much, but uh, still make sure you're subscribed and you click the notification bell and all of that. Now, um, before we start out with our uh, main guest, we're going to go to um, two guests from um, Poetry Spawn. We have um, Today's Poet and we have another poem on Tuesday, both about the same thing, because both both of the poems that were submitted this week were submitted for, um, written about Afghanistan and the situation going on there. So let's call up the first poet we'll be talking to. This is Megan Sterling with today's poems, the Sunday poem on rattle.com. Hey, Megan. Hey, great to see you. Let me, yeah, let me pull you into the broadcast. Um, So um, to start, I mean, just let's talk a little bit about what inspired this poem. It's a wonderful poem. It's already been shared all over the internet, and it really, I think, captures the emotion of, the situation that we're observing from the US that's, that's going on there in Afghanistan. Do you wanna just talk about what inspired it and, and how the poem came to be?
1: Sure. Um, well, it was a confluence of experiences, like a lot of poems, um, where I had been organizing my closet over the weekend and going through things and organizing it by color. And um, then, you know, events started to unfold on the news in Afghanistan and I was driving a few mornings later listening to NPR and just observing people driving around and feeling our freedom, witnessing our freedom and thinking about the freedom that I felt in organizing my closet by color. Hmm. And I sat down at my desk and I thought about what it would mean if something as simple as the clothes in my closet were taken away from me, if I didn't have that very simple and small freedom and I looked out and I looked at the, my neighbor's pride flag with, it was taut, and the colors were all displayed. And so suddenly I sort of felt this entry point into the poem, like the flag and the colors of the flag on display were this entry point for me to explore my experience being a woman with my freedom to choose the clothes that I wish to wear to express myself. And then contrasting that with imagining what it must be to be a woman in Afghanistan and having to go through her closet and select out the clothes that she hasn't had to wear in maybe 20 years. And of course, this is all imagined and me putting myself in the shoes that, you know, so I'm, I'm only able to write from my perspective, but I just put myself in that place and I felt this terrible fear and sorrow
0: Yeah, it's just, it's always that, it's a surreal feeling when there's war things going on in this, you know, imperialistic country that we live in, and we're so isolated from it, and we go through our daily lives and just feel the same way, and then somewhere else in the world, our tax dollars are bombing places or letting places go and making these decisions that affect people's lives, and it is. I mean, especially for some reason, yeah, the experience of looking at other people driving down the street or something and wondering like, cause it seems like they don't, aren't even thinking about it. I mean, there's no outward display of, of, of a reaction to what's going on. It is very strange. Every time that we do things and we do things so often like this, huh? but yeah, yeah. And, and so this poem really captured that, that feeling I think really well, which is why it's resonating, resonating with a lot of people. And, um, And it's sort of a, you know, what Poets Respond was designed to do, which was capture the emotion of current events. And I think this does it really, really well. Um, Do you wanna go ahead and share the poem?
2: Sure.
1: Um, Afghanistan is your fault. Afghanistan is your fault and also my fault. The way I pretend the world isn't happening, organizing my closet by color, by season, touching the soft fabrics instead of reading the news. The way I'm back at my window, where I watch the neighbor's pride flags' colors reflect the mood of the moment, how it was twisted when the pandemic started, how it has been twisted since the pandemic continues. But right now, it is flattened, faded, in a late summer light that aches with coming autumn, its stripes of many colors pulled taut by the wind like a dress set to dry on a line. While the people of Afghanistan are rushing the airports, they are swarming the tarmac. They are surrounding the airplanes as if they can leap onto a wing and be lifted away from what's happening to their lives. The way the women are facing a terror bigger than tears or the death of the earth, looking into a hole where the sun had just been blooming, wrapping themselves again in their black that had gathered dust in the back of their closets. The way their black is mourning for the textbooks that will be burned. The way their black is mourning for being walled again in their homes. The way their black is mourning for the sun as it dims and the earth grows cold and all the birds give up their plumage to die beneath the folds of their colorless wings.
0: Yeah, just an excellent poem. Um, Afghanistan is your fault. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that, Megan, and for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Yep. Bye.
0: Bye. And then we have uh, we had so many poems um, um, about the situation in Afghanistan, and we have another poet here. Hopefully, we can connect. Uh, but Dave Bonta shared a poem as well, and um, that'll be the Tuesday poem here. Hey, Dave. Thanks so much for joining in. It's great to see you. Hello. Yeah, and uh, where are you from? You're well, you're somewhere on um,
3: on, the, on the East Coast, right? I'm in uh, Central Pennsylvania. Ah, yeah, I'm in in basically the Appalachian portion of Pennsylvania. I mean, all of Pennsylvania is in the Appalachians, but I'm in the Appalachia part, South Central, mm-hmm. literally in the mountains.
0: Yeah, well, I'm so glad you could join us, and uh, and I've I've really admired all the stuff you do for a long time. So it's great to actually have you in an, in part of Rattle um, for the first time. Um, with these it 's a series of haiku or a, a ranku type sequence ranku inspired I think is how you put it sequence um, about yeah. the same situation in Afghanistan that we were just talking about. Do you want to explain a little bit about what inspired the poem
3: um, a couple things i mean the the opening of it was inspired by a walk I was on um, a lot of haiku typically these days you know, I, my, my cell phone is my notebook and I, I literally write down ideas as I, as I walk along during the pandemic, I really got into walking. Um, but then the news coverage of, of our withdrawal from Afghanistan was, was, it wasn't as really quite slanted and it, mm-hmm. in I think an illuminating way, you know, because it's easy to pretend on a, on a, that, that that we have this huge partisan divide in this country and we do and you've got your left-wing media and your right-wing media but when it, any foreign policy issue, but anytime when America's at war or something like that, there's this great You know sort of all the elite media are speaking almost the uniform unified voice, mm-hmm. which I can almost understand Obviously they party that the DC types. They're all friends with the people who got fabulously wealthy as contractors during the, the, some would argue the whole purpose of the Afghanistan war was in fact to enrich people who live in warlords, in fact, in Northern Virginia. <laughs> yeah. And I was trying to get at that as, you know, when you came back with, some, with, with a, a critique of some parts of that, I mean, you're absolutely right. Cause it's very difficult being didactic in any poetry format, mm-hmm. especially one based on the Japanese forms, you know, the, the. You can make didactic points, I mean, one thinks of, of Issa's famous haiku about, I forget, they're different translations, but basically, in this world, you know, what, what is it, walking sort of on top of hell and sniffing the flowers kind mm-hmm. of thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, the the point you bring up about the news, I mean, I, I mentioned on the show, because we always talk about the news stories a lot, that I don't watch the news at all. We don't have TV. We don't watch cable news. And it's not because I don't care about the news. I just don't believe anything on the news. <laughs> and so, um, and, and this is a prime example of it. I mean, who knows what's really going on when we're getting one, you know, Pentagon version of, of the story. And, um, and you know, all the talking heads that are telling you what to think about it are all people, as in the article that you share here from The Intercept, are all... Um, people you know on the payroll for for the military industrial complex so um i don't know it, it's just interesting trying to piece together what's really going on in the world when we have the people sort of war profiteers the war pigs as you referenced in the note at the end too um you know sh- making the narrative and it's been going on since you know um since united fruit and back in the whenever that was and
3: um absolutely um but anyway one yeah if I can make one additional sort of podcast recommendation from the independent media, which I think you also uh, believe in, um, the, the, the podcast known as crystal Kyle and friends, mm-hmm. which is Crystal ball, Kyle Kalinsky. And, you know, once a week they have a guest on, um, and this week their guest is a fellow named Matthew Ho, H O H, who's like a high level conscientious objector in the sense that he was a, he was in the Marines, um, And then, um, you know, went through the Marine Academy and everything, was an officer and everything in Iraq, transitioned to the State Department kind of doing development work, switched to Afghanistan like 2008, went over there, was in charge of like a number of provinces, sort of overseeing their development work, realized the complete absurdity of it, and uh, quit in a rather high profile way. But they have a lengthy, I'm sure he's been interviewed in other places, I think. Uh, my parents were saying they think they heard him on fresh air, actually, huh, which is definitely mainstream. So it's great. You know, he's spoken to you know, one of the shocking things he said, one of the many th- things he said. They were trying to figure out, like, how many people in D.C. know what's really going on versus those who are true blue actually believe the the narrative that we spin to the like the voters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And his answer actually was most of the politicians believe the story, believe the narrative, because he met with like. The ranking Democrats on the Armed Services Committee in both the House and the Senate to brief them on his experience around 2009, 2010. And they said, both of them said, you know, the senator and the congressman, like, this is the first we've heard any of this. Hmm. The generals don't tell us this.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Interesting.
3: And they get briefed. They most frequently were getting briefed, actually, not even by the Pentagon. They're getting briefed by people from the think tanks. Mm -hmm. These are the highest level people in Congress getting their briefing from people whose salaries are being paid by the defense industry. Yeah, yeah. That's how deep the rot goes. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are, You know, these are good, thankful people that they were. He said, you know, the way he described it, they were open to his critiques of him saying, look, actually, this is a decades long civil war with its roots in the Cold War. You know, the CIA actually set up the whole heroin thing. You know, yeah, the Taliban makes some money of it, but basically it's our guys who have. You know, Hamid Karzai's brother was the single biggest, you know, heroin dealer in all of Afghanistan. You know, it has it just, just one small aspect of mm-hmm. it. There's no way to wrap up an explanation in a whole neat box. And the other neat thing he did, which really makes it worth listening to, is he ties it together with this long history going back to the Indian Wars in the 19th century. And the geographical context, which is that the US is in fact involved all over the Muslim world. He said, this is one part of an ongoing war. Mm-hmm. And any one of these little conflicts in like Mali or Somalia, you know, or Niger, where we have advisors in there right now could escalate at any time. And then, you know, the public not knowing better and Congress not knowing any better, you get the same war fever yep. going yep. on. Yeah. And yep. he yep. said, the thing you need to realize is that war one of the things we say in the in the peace community is that war is profitable for the losers as well as the winners. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well well said, and, and, and great context. I, I, that's the kind of thing I like to watch and listen to, so I'll definitely check that out. Um, let, let's hear this uh, poem, Withdrawal Symptoms, that we have uh, lined up for Tuesday. I'll have it on screen, but you have to read your own copy.
3: Uh, yes, of course, and if I were organized, I'd already have it on screen. Um, so... Uh, withdrawal symptoms and and of course the the standard joke from a, back in my days of doing like live poetry readings is to you know talk for 20 minutes and then read a haiku <laughs> <laughs> anyway imperial sunset my shadow waving back one by one the stars of generals in the, on the evening news telling us it's morning giving air support To ghost soldiers. What better hell have we bombed into existence? Moon cradling that darkness called Earthshine.
0: Yeah, just a wonderful um, Renku-inspired series, Withdrawal Symptoms. I love each of those. Um, They're just really, really strong haiku. Um, Thanks so much for sharing that, Dave, and and joining us today. You bet. Great talking to you. Yep, Yep. talk to you later. Bye. Bye. So was Dave Bonta with Withdrawal Symptoms, Tuesday's poem, and um, a little explanation for what's going on. Check out that article um, when the poem comes out that he shared from, um, um, from The Intercept, which will tell you a lot about what, what he's kind of talking about there. And now let's move on to our main guest. I'm going to throw up some music and a uh, splash screen and get connected with Marcella Shulak, and we will be right back. And we're back. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, we have um, oops, I pushed the wrong button. Hang on a second. Turn off Zoom. Sorry. Let's see. Zoom's gonna pop up on me. But anyway, today's guest, like I mentioned on RadicalCast 107, is Marcella Shulak. Uh, Marcella has published four titles with Black Lawrence Press, um, three poetry collections, including City of Sky Papers, Decency, and Immigrant, as well as her lyric memoir, Mouthful of Seeds. The first and the last of the two we're gonna be focusing on today. Shulak, uh, who translates from the Hebrew, Czech, and French, is a 2019 NEA Translation Fellow. Her fourth book length translation of poetry, 20 Girls to Envy Me Selected Poems of Orit Gadali, was nominated for the 2017 Penn Award for Poetry and Translation. Her essays have appeared in the Boston Review, the Iowa Review, the Los Angeles Review of Books, and many more. She coordinates the poetry track of the Shandy Rudolph Graduate Program in Creative Writing at Bar-Elan University, where she is an Associate Professor in American Literature. She edits the Elinat Review and hosts TLV1 radio podcast, Israel in Translation. And uh, here she is, Marcella Shulak. Hey, Marcella, thanks so much for joining me.
4: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, it is just my pleasure. I've enjoyed your work for a long time, and um, it's just so great to have these shows. And we get to see people... Um, you know, who who we've known for a while. I think we started out, you were in the uh, Southern Poets issue, because you grew up in Texas. Um, That's issue right. Was 39 of Rattle. And um, <laughs> yeah, so do you want to start us out with a poem? What do you want to read first to sort of get the ball rolling?
4: Sure. And you know, i was thinking about this, and I'm wondering if you don't mind if I start off with a, a bit of a Something from a Mouthful of Seeds, which isn't exactly a poem, but drawn that way. Is that okay? Yeah, that'd be fine. Or I you prefer to, a poem? Yeah, okay.
0: I, I wanted to share poems from that okay. book, too. So, yeah, go ahead. But let me know the page numbers okay, every time so I can show it on the this
4: screen. This is the opening. Okay. It's the opening. So I think it starts on page three. Okay, thanks. Mm. I have to also preface this with I just returned, and two hours ago I moved back into my home after being in Czech Republic for eight months. And so everything is in a box. So I am reading this off the screen. I do have a copy of City of Sky Papers. It's the first time I'm laying eyes on this book, actually. Oh, yeah. um, so. Right.
0: Yeah, well, it's a beautiful um, book. I they they it, do a wonderful job at Black yeah. Lawrence Press. Let me show these books on screen. Absolutely. Uh,
4: yeah, do that. Do that. Yes, yeah, so yeah. this is
0: City of Sky Papers. And with um, yeah. this beautiful cover, and really interesting title too, which I m- misread at first, and then and then you sort of realize yeah. what it is. Um, yeah. And, and then um, city of sky papers, and then the other one is mouthful of seeds. Here, both beautiful books. Black Lawrence Press does a great job. And um, they
4: do, and yeah, I wanted to say um, that mouthful of seeds was uh, a print that I fell in love with by um, a woman who's who is an Israeli. Her name is Kanan and she very graciously let me use that cover i did buy a different print but that print there's no way it could fit in the house so Mm -hmm. um (laughs) so the the opening that i want to read to you just i kind of feel it's important to let you know you know i just i just am arriving everything is in boxes my laptop is stacked up on various books just because this sort of encapsulates the kind of work that I'm doing, it sort of encapsulates where I write from. And that's sort of the small space in a hurricane, you know, the, the eye of the hurricane. And, and this is, I guess this is what happens when you do translation, when you do writing, when you travel around. And, um, and sometimes, you know, writers like to write from home and in a quiet place, and sometimes you don't have that luxury. And so, I'll start right away with drawn that way. On my birthday, my mother writes me, what is it about you that allows you to pick up with your little daughter and leave all your former life behind? Your background, your family, nationality, religion, friends, siblings, parents, your roots, and just start a new life in a new country. What freedom of spirit you must have. Maybe if the Catholic Church altars featured statues of Mary with a baby in a book instead of a crucified bloody body of a man, I'd have stayed Catholic and become a Catholic mother in our ancestral homeland, Moravia. I try instead to focus on the double exclamation point in freedom of spirit. I'm studying theology at a Jesuit university and discover that the 1905 and the 1906 papal commission on modernism found no legal, as in canon law, reason a woman could not be ordained a priest. But it was concluded, since God chose to inhabit the body of a man, not a woman, priests should be men, not women. The most important thing about Jesus' humanity was his genitalia. Ever after, when I saw a figure of a male hanging from across the church, I would feel waves of nausea. My body would sometimes become racked in sobs, and I'd have to remove it from the nave. It was embarrassing and puzzling. I certainly wasn't conscious of feeling upset. I liked the candles and incense and ritual and liberation theology. I loved Mary, the mother. I did not deify the son, and this would probably disqualify me from Jewish motherhood, but luckily I gave birth to a daughter. I have no idea, Mama, where I get my freedom of spirit. I'm gonna excerpt a little bit and go down to 2B. To There's another way of looking at it, and that is to say that Jesus' body denies the humanity of mine. If Jesus is human and my body could not be priestly, maybe the most important thing about my body is the genitalia. But I know what the Papal Commission on Modernism's conclusion really means, as progressive as I found the mere fact of its existence in 1904 and 1906. Maybe what I'm getting at here is the sheer physicality of the mother's body as receptacle of life, sure, but of impurity. It shocks me, it always has, simply the physicality of the woman's body, and it continues to shock me after all these years of being alive. In my perfect world, our thoughts, intentions, emotions would be visible. Our spirits would be visible. We'd see their shape and size and style under our clothes. We'd cover our insecurities with panties or support them with bras, but our ideas would be the physical representation of ourselves in the world. Our bodies, the physical elements, would be accessible only through our minds and our actions. Like the wind, we'd see our bodies only in their movement when we moved them to fulfill an intention or thought. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way, says Jessica Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm drawn that way too. (laughs) I think we can stop here. (laughs) But I wanted to say that I know that we talked about my work as a translator also and I wanted to say that this is something that I keep coming back to as a translator as well um, because I started off translating fairy tales, Czech fairy tales, and I was always um, kind of surprised at how the mother figure in fairy tales is always used as a is a pedagogical tool to teach the community how to behave. So she's always the one that stands between the community and the raw forces of nature, the gods, you know, are sinful, lustful or whatever, uh, urges. And so that's sort of where the translation began. Yeah. Yeah. It,
0: it, um, it's so interesting that you start out with that, um, with that, that first question, um, what freedom of spirit you must have? Cause that's the thing that I was wondering, I mean, cause it's such a journey that you have, um, from a, um, a rice farm in Southern Texas and then to, I think it was like Mexico and then Notre Dame and then uh, Czech and then, um, and then Israel. Um, and can you just talk a little bit about how you became a writer and what, mm-hmm. and, and what, what informs that sort of traveling, um, sort of spirit and, and how that relates to your writing?
4: Well, I think that part of it came because I grew up in a town, it's no longer like, well, it is like this, but the population's change. I grew up in a very small town. It was five miles outside of a town of about 200. Nobody in that town had English as their first language. I mean, we spoke English at home, but our parents learned English in school. Everybody, either Czech or Spanish, mostly. There was some German speaking. And so when you grow up like that it's it's sort of a contradiction because on the one hand my grandfather could speak five different languages you know he needed them um he picked up spanish when he arrived because the neighbors were speaking it and so on the one hand i grew up with this broad mindedness that languages give you i didn't speak five languages at the time but on the other hand i grew up in such a tiny town and I think that had I had more girl cousins my age, I would have been content. But I was in the middle of eight boy cousins, and they were always telling me I throw like a girl and whatever. And like everybody in my class I knew since I was two. And so there was no <laughs> excitement there. And so I think part of it was that when you grow up in such a small place, and I think I was the first person in my town to go to university, I mean, first certainly first woman, but the first person in my town, maybe except for Greg Brazina who had a football scholarship to go to a university. And so, it, you know, you're kind of weird when you grow up like that. So I kind of was always wanting to like, see the world a bit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: it just, such, it feels like such a you know like, like the perfect situation to make you want to become a world traveler because you have access to so many different cultures right around you but then it was such a small community that like you want to actually see it right um did, did you know when you um like like knew you might be a writer was there a sort of a moment where that thought because I, I think I read that you you know you started out reading a lot because you were sort of isolated in this small town um was there a time <laughs> where it shifted to actually producing writing and then too like why yeah. why focus on poetry instead of other forms
4: well, I think it was because I we had a tiny library in our town and it was open like, you know, 20 hours a week. And they had a really good poetry selection, and I remember falling in love with Anna Akhmatova like immediately. I was probably 5th grade. And and I loved that. I loved, you know, um Anna the, the Malay, those kind of free-spirited, unusual women were available to me in translation and So, well, Akhmatobat, actually Malay obviously wrote in English, but I think that I felt like I was writing to them when I was writing, when I started writing. And I had such fabulous teachers. I, I don't know how I lucked out so much in such a tiny town. We had amazing teachers. And so when I was in fifth grade, I think, or seventh grade, Mrs. Winkler took me aside and said, well, if you want to be a poet you really need to learn the craft. And she introduced me to a real life poet, Mickey Huffstetler. And recently her, um, I think, nephew got in touch with me. She's since recently passed and it was so moving to get in touch with him. Yeah. But she took me to her house. She sat me down. You know, I was probably 12 and she sat me down and she said, you have to learn prosody. You have to learn genre. And she just drilled me and it was so much fun. It was kind of like a crossword puzzle. And I was I was so thrilled to be taken seriously by a real live writer mm-hmm. who had published a book. And that sort of just changed my life. And I didn't know I was going to do this. You know, I'm super lucky. It's so hard to get a poetry gig in this world um, that I didn't really ever imagine that this would happen to me. And I'm so grateful that I can, you know, work in academia and, and publish and Um, but at the time it wasn't something I thought I would do, but I did start keeping a diary, um, from when I was about seven, our house burned down when I was 12, but I started again. So I have always kept a diary and I guess that was sort of an indication that I was taking writing seriously. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting the way that, that literature and poetry, especially it's sort of like a secret society almost. Like you sort of have to find that one person who, Um, sort of guides you into it and then you know it sort of opens up this whole world and 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 most people just don't have you didn't happen to have that right person in the secret society at the right time it's like we're the freemasons or something um by appreciating this but i mean it really is And, and then you know and then people look at our you know the things that we do and and it's sort of strange to the regular people but uh um but it's an amazing thing that it opens up such a such a world and then and then to be able to open up a world like that and then enter it as you do is really interesting too. Mm-hmm. Um do you want to to read another poem? What do you want to do
4: next? Oh sure, I can read a poem. I can read something from City of Sky papers, but I I wanted to say that for me writing was sort of a way of communicating with these people even though you know their bodies were no longer in this world. Um they were alive for me and and they were more just as real as mrs Orsack or any of the other people in my town and so i i loved that um so yeah i love the idea of secret society now city of sky papers which is the newest book is very very much a book of place and it's very daily and i'm exploring different kinds of time um because time you know Time keeps going. my idea of it is that, you know, all of this time is going on simultaneously. And so this book is really written from my daily running along the river, bike riding along the river to school or to work. I don't have a car in Tel Aviv. I have a bike and um, riding the bus to work. And so I just did that every day thinking, what did I have to do to get here today? And that's how it started. And so a lot of the poems start off like that. And, I realized that it has all kinds of time in it. It has sacred time and secular time. It has holidays. It has um, time of the day. I also garden and farm. I have like this miniature orchard and a, and a giant garden. Um, it's a community garden plot. And so I work in those a lot. And, and so I'm handling all kinds of time. I think I'm gonna read one that talks about that and it's called Genesis.
0: And, what page and is because that? I
4: am in an Israel, and we're, it's on page 20. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a shout out to my friend Vince Lozano, who's in Texas. He gave me some of these nice lines. Okay. Genesis. Running along the beach Tuesday, I see the ark of a kingfisher wagging against the sky like the gray eyebrow of God. He is looking for fish, and God is simply looking. Suddenly, he points and drops, stabs the surface of the sea and disappears. And in the grass, a hopo plunges its bill, pulling it open, and the small earth splits. I love the kingfisher's undulating flight, the wings half-closed at the end of each beat. I love how it beats with my feet, and God stands by, still waiting for the news. Friday, Joseph and I are naming our beasts. Joseph says before the transit camps, his family had been used to owning things. And also, he'd been pretty for a long time. And that's why he's, he'd not burned out as bad as the others. Joseph says he resents it now that he's not. Pretty was hard to lose. I think he's still pretty, but I know what he means. Now we are promised, no longer promising he says that when his book is done, he may not have another in him. God says he may not have another book in God's self either. I'm sitting on the balcony with my tanned bare legs up, ankles crossed. It's Friday night. I'm resting like God. And so are my thighs, which God made and which I sculpted. They're not bad at this angle in the dark. Resting from their daily run and resting from having given birth and from wearing high heels to climb the crumbling cemetery walls throughout the capital cities of Europe. They're resting from carrying home the enormous pinky yam I grew last year in my garden, and which my neighbors implied I did not deserve to grow. And resting from carrying around all the women I'm not. This one, for example, whose legs are longer than mine and slim in their musculature and sexy as hell next to the legs of someone I loved in this photo from last month. But then I remember the ones I love are usually more exciting in my imagination than they are in real life, and I decide to let it go. See, this is what I mean, God, by rest. And this morning, running along the river, full of Egyptian ducks and gulls, the air heavy, with moisture, I come upon a beautiful man, riding a bike, carrying a bouquet of wildflowers. As he passes me, he calls out low, hola kavod. Usually people only tell you you're doing a good job when you obviously are not. And maybe you look like the effort will kill you. But what does he know? I'm doing a damn fine job now. I'm resting. It's just the sort of thing God would say.
0: (laughs) Great poem, that's uh, Genesis. From yeah. from Sky Thanks. Papers. Or City of Sky Papers, I should say. Um and and I should say too, if anybody has any questions for Marcella, please leave them in the chat message on either uh, YouTube or Facebook. I'm monitoring both and I'll pass anything along happily. Um You know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, that that this came from a sort of a running practice. And um and and and, and that diary is important to you too, that you keep a diary. And and it's really really um you know, ob- you know, obvious in this book that, that that's the way they come from. Like, it feels very like you're journeying with you through your life as your are both of these two books. Um, how what is your writing process like? Like like you if you write in a diary every day, do, do those diary entries become poems? Is that is that how it works and, and how much how much happens at the time of the diary and how much um, is crafting later?
4: Um, that is a great question. And I have to say that my practice has changed throughout my life. It's changed drastically since having a child and starting to direct. I, I just started like last week directing a program and i done it be- And when you're doing that, you have time only in fits and spurts. You don't have these, you know, I used to say like every Friday and Tuesday I'm writing and I don't have that luxury anymore. I mean, my kid's older now, but um, so what my current writing practice is, is I do write in my journal every day. And sometimes my journal is just a new word to learn today or a recipe or, you know, something to do. But oftentimes it's an observation. I try to, to see something new every day. And then what happens usually, I don't really know if you can see so much, but and some of these poems, especially in the beginning of the poem, like at the to get here today a piano on page five, for example, I then put them into forms. So that one I put into Octavarima. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I keep the form and sometimes I don't. So in City and So Mouthful of Seeds, which looks like prose blocks. There's something really subversive here. Every single one of those poems is either a syllabic poem, a sonnet, or a sestina or a octavarima that I smashed. Oh wow! And so, and I smashed it into prose. Block. It's still there, but it that is so fascinating
0: because I, um, you know, I was noticing some rhymes and things in there, but I, I didn't without the lineation. I didn't notice, you know, I didn't notice yeah. that at all. That that's fascinating.
4: Yeah. And so I do that for two reasons. One of them is that when you do that, even if you decide to go back to free verse, if you do that practice, you have found the core of what you're trying to say, because when you journal, you know, you just put everything down and you don't really know it's important, but when you have to choose and you can only keep 10 words out of 100, you find the core pretty quickly. It's Mm -hmm. really pretty easy. And if you're not thinking about it, like if somebody told me find the core, I would die. But if somebody told me, put this in syllabics, then you do it without thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the practice. And the second reason is that I just, I love, I, I think that sound and musicality is just as important um, how it sounds is, is really, for me, part of what I'm saying. Otherwise, you would just pick up the phone and call somebody and tell them something, right? Mm-hmm. So poetry is, is a way of being in the world in which how you say it is just as important as what you're saying. And sometimes you can't, you know, this is why I don't like summarizing a poem. You have to experience it. Poetry is an experience and it's a very physical experience. And so that's why... It, it's like that. I think also, also these forms are very physical forms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to shout out to Miriam Rother now, who is who's a student um, and also a choreographer. And when I was trying to explain to some students one time that, you know, poetic feet come from the Greek and they're actually danced and it's called a foot because you actually step that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I read it somewhere. I was hoping it was right. Miriam pipes up and she's like, it's true. I'm a choreographer and I choreographed the Greek. And I was like, wow. And so it really hit me how absolutely embodied poetry is. It's something that's, it's not just read, it's not just listened to, it's experienced and you feel it in your body. So that's why I do it that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I always feel like, like poetry is the only, um, you know, art form where where the reader is the medium like like what the, the writer is, is playing is the instrument of the reader's breath and heartbeat and, and, and you know, actual physical movements of muscles and things. And, and so, like, the, the poet is playing you like you're a violin or something as you read a poem. And, um, and so it's, it's so cool to, you know, hear feet, you know, being used like that. And, and, and you know, a beat is your heartbeat. It's, it's unstra- you know, ba is a beat, you know, in the poem. It's all so bodily. Um, and it's really cool, though. I, I'm sort of shocked... That these are broken down, um, you know, cause I think most people would, you know, be proud of their forms and want everybody to know. So to hide them is such an interesting impulse.
4: Thanks. I don't really know why I did that. I, I had a couple, well, first of all, I just want to say, I love, I love your expression of the reader as the medium. Thanks Tim, that's gorgeous. Um, and secondly, I, I had a long talk with Diane Gaudel at, at Black Lawrence. She's absolutely a wonderful publisher. Um, and we talked about what to do because I sent her two versions of that book and I had one in which the forms were there and I had one, you know, and she took it that way. She originally accepted it that way. And I said, you know, I feel a little naughty, but I feel like smashing everything and breaking into, and we talked about it and I think we decided to, to try it because Some of the pieces in there originally were essays. They were normal, straight, 30-page long essays, and some of them were really, really crafted poems. And the essays I chopped, and I I excerpted lots of it, and I just kept the hearts. And the poems I broke, and so they ended up looking the same, but they came from two entirely different impulses. And we decided that that made a really nice energy in the book. And we also decided that we would try to market it then as, as prose and see what happened. <laughs> I don't know if anything happened, but it was kind of exciting for me to write prose for a change <laughs> instead of poetry. And it was kind of fun. So. Yeah,
0: that's such an interesting <laughs> idea. Um, and mm-hmm. before we move on to more poems, um, Richard Westheimer here has a question, which um, is sort of a technical question. Um but I was wondering this too. Um on your runs, do you ever listen to podcasts and music and audiobooks or is it silent and you're just observing like that? Yeah. And then do you take notes as you run too? Is that part cuz cuz I, you know, I hear people, you know, say that they, you know, inspired when they're out like in nature on hikes and runs and things. Um but I always I can never keep track of what I thought. Like I don't have a way to record it and I don't stop and so it's kind of, sort of there and gone. Um, So how did you do that? Do you stop and take notes and and do you listen to anything?
4: No, when I first started running and I have to say that I haven't really been running in the last year because I was hit by a truck a few years ago and Mm. it crushed all my ribs. And so I I started running again, but I hope to get back into it because I'm feeling this loss right now. I feel like I can't write a thing because I can't run, but, um, I used to, when I first started running, I used to listen to music because it just made me run. You know, it's hard to start. Once you start, it's easy. But when you're just starting, just do whatever it takes to get you running. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. Listening to music was fun. It kept my, my beat. But then I stopped. And I think I stopped because somebody told me that they don't listen to music when they run. They just think. And I was like, wow, that's an incredible, crazy idea. You just don't do anything for an hour and you just run. <laughs> and <laughs> when I tried it, I'm, I'm really bad with like meditation and calm and breathing and stuff. And so I found that for me, it's a beautiful way to meditate, because I have to move my body while my mind is empty. And so it allows me to take in thoughts and let them go. I also found that when I run, Um, If I'm working on an article, or if I have a problem, or I don't know how to decorate my room, you know, I just run and the answer kind of comes to me. And so now I go out running, feeling really excited, like what am I going to discover in this run. So yeah, I don't listen to anything now. When I walk, however, it's a little different because sometimes when I walk, I'm, I'm usually studying some language at some point because I do a letter translation. So sometimes when I walk, I have little cue cards and I and I go through. But when I'm running, you know, you're all sweaty and you don't want to hold anything. So I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as remembering, there was this book. It, I can't remember who wrote it, but it's 10 walks and two talks. And it was very popular a few years ago. And I liked the idea of walking for 60 minutes and then writing down 60 sentences. I don't know how those guys did it because it seemed like they were recording as they were going. But I decided to just run and write down what I remembered from the run. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you have to admit, not everything you think is really that interesting, right? So (laughs) I just decided that the stuff I remember was probably the most interesting. And then I started developing relationships. Like there was this really old man who seems to have been recovering from a stroke and he was always lifting, you know, squeezing little things and we would see each other and smile. And then there was this parade woman who would run in a denim skirt and a wig and she was fast. She could like pass me, except when she was pregnant, and then I was faster than her. And so we developed this relationship where we would say hi to each other, and her voice was just amazing. And so I never wanted to be listening to anything because I wanted to hear her voice whenever I passed her and say hi to her. So, yeah, I think it was an adventure. It's it's a it's a whole new world not to listen to anything when you run.
0: Yeah, and and, and when you run, is it um how, you you just moved recently to Israel? So so where
4: well, no, it's been 12 years now, oh, but I've moved around in Israel. And so the last seven years I've been living um, along the Yarkon River. And that kind of changed my life because it's there's a park. There's a very long, um, you can run forever. Like it goes 60 kilometers if you want to. And it, I do that on the bike. But um, if you run, it's part of the Israel trail, the hiking trail. And it's an old salt trail as well. So it has a a very, an an ancient um, place where there was a fortress and, you know, it's kind of cool. So you Mm -hmm. can go along and imagine um, the salt trade back in the day. Um, And two years ago, two and a half years ago, well, the last eight months I've been gone, but I moved uh, again really close to the park and close to my community garden. And it's a different section of the park. So it's another new world. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, well, let's read some more poems. I want to make sure we get to a good number, too. Um, sure. I was wondering if you wanted to read To Get Here Today, since you mentioned it. The, the,
4: the... Oh, sure. Which one? There's like the first one? Yeah, the, the first one. Yeah. Okay. To Get Here Today, A Piano. This is a bus ride poem. Okay. Not at, <laughs> so. <clears throat> on the bus, by the way, I do take notes sometimes because, you know, I'm on the bus. Yeah. To Get Here Today, A Piano. To get here today, I pulled leggings on and a dress and made oatmeal and coffee, cut fruit, then walked back and forth before a book bag in the living room into which I'd knotted two amulets against suicide for someone I love. A flat stone Carl drilled a hole into before he died, having lived in the school janitorial closet in lieu of a nice monastery cell because of the communist government which I'd found escorting 40 Czech children up and down the coast of Spain. And a black round of coral my ex-boyfriend's mother had given me after she lost her other son. And I walked, ran to the bus with them and the gargantuan Norton Anthology of American Literature, smaller seventh edition, because I'm teaching Fitzgerald and a dream of a common language, because I couldn't seem to find my Audre Lord, and I wanted to send her something beautiful and surviving. Not something that dwelt only on the pain, but that explored a way out. Someone who knew, well, to kill oneself doesn't require, though a disaster, what pain can do. No books composed by suicides, no Deborah Diggs, no Paul Salon. To get here, I walked to the bus stop, planning how and when to explain where babies come from, for my child's already asked, and I thought I'll tell her in the summer for I'm a single mother. To get here today, I lined my eyes with dark sky and filled in with moss green and in the crease, stone. In the streets, I realized my leggings were on inside out. I quartered a kiwi and halved the passion fruits, for I love the feel of infinity in the sandy crunch of seeds and the viscosity of the other's jelly reminds me of the frog egg clouds we used to find as children in the pond in Texas. We'd slide them into the clawfoot bathtub that sufficed as a cow trough, caress them saying caviar, by which we meant luck and money, the stars that hung over the house in the dark in which I've not had in ages. Today, I rode the number 56 bus down HaShalom to Aleph Sadeh, and just past the stop where the soldiers get off, I noticed someone had painted the white wooden slats of his fence black at even intervals, turning his privacy into a piano again.
0: Yeah, I just love that uh, that ending especially from from that poem to get here today a piano. And um I don't know, like like you see in in that poem, you hear the the voice that you have, which is very it's very intimate and and very personal. Like it feels like we're really really inside your head, getting your thoughts and and sort of connecting on that really sort of I don't know, deeply human way or something. It's really really great poetry. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I wanted to ask about about the garden because I know gardening's a big part of your life, and it always strikes me, even though I don't garden, I'd love to. But we have like the the ground squirrels and things, which just every time we try to plant anything, <laughs> they yeah. they take it away. But um. Um, it it always strikes me that the gardening is very similar to poetry in a lot of ways, The the, the meditative aspect of it, the pruning and the, in the, you know, weeding and things is sort of an, you know, the editing process. And, and then, you know, poetry, poesis is to make, and you're making things out of the earth when you're gardening, there's just so much in common. And, and can you just talk a little bit about, about what draws you to gardening and what, I don't know, it seems like there's this thread through all the things you do, which is, which, which, I know they all have something in common. What do you think it is?
4: Um, I think, well, I think they have a couple of different threads. I think it's like a little rope or a little um, cable that runs through them, and some of them have different aspects of it. But I think that, that um, agriculture is definitely one of them. And I can say that having grown up on a rice farm, Um, I lived my childhood life outside and I had to be inside for school or, you know, when, when we had to eat and go to bed. But otherwise we're outside. And the most amazing thing about it is my dad knew everything. He knew all the plants, all the trees, all the bugs, and he had stories about them. And so for me, the land was like a book in a way. Like it was everything had a story. And and so the other interesting thing about it is that we were living on a land grant that was one of the original 300 families from Stephen F. Austin. We didn't, our family wasn't one of those original ones, but, but we had bought a parcel. It was the first time that that parcel had been sold. And so the, and that, that parcel was super interesting. Like my dad used to find the arrowheads on it mm-hmm. and I used to like, when I was younger, I could feel like I'd have nightmares. Sometimes the spirits of the, the deceased people that had lived there had visited me. And I felt like, look, you either believe that or you know. whatever. <laughs> but I felt like the land itself had so much to say. And in a way, I felt like writing was... Not exactly giving voice, because as you point out, it gives its own voice. You know, Uh, there's a poet, an Israeli poet who basically says, you know, I can't I can't create a nation. He's talking about Israel, but I can I can grow the poems. And she's talking about because she worked in agriculture. And so she saw herself as an agriculturalist, as creating poetry as well. So this is not an old, this is not a new trope and most of our language from poetry comes from agriculture anyway, versus to turn right when you're plowing a field. So there's something deeply it's gonna make a stupid pun ingrained in this, this idea that that, you know, everything has a story. And in fact, I think the story of land is one of the driving forces of all literature and narrative and mm-hmm. the idea of a nation you know as homie baba says nation is narrated and so i think that's where that comes from and so i really feel it because my family came to america for land and all of it is sort of how you change this land to your own image how you make it as you want it um, and that's sort of what you do with this language as well um i deeply enjoy because I'm a bit rootless, like I have moved around a lot and the cost of living in Israel is so much that, you know, all I've always longed for land, but I have my garden and that's my land. And so I feel like there's a connection, you know, it's a way of meeting the people also who farm or who have the garden. And. I think that runs through a lot of the poems, or at least if not actually gardening, then the stories of the land or the stories of... And I think also that another thing that comes through probably a lot of the poetry comes from translating as well. It is the stories of the people that I'm living with. And when I translate them into English, they sort of even when I'm done with them in their book, they still creep into my own poems, and they color my own way of seeing the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a couple of those. Those are some of the things that that stay in the poems.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was a great answer to that that question. Um, I mm-hmm. want to make sure we do enough poems. Um, so let's do another okay. poem, and then we'll we'll talk a little more again.
4: Okay. So I can do. I'll do when, when I sit and when I stand. This is not a gardening point per se, but some of these poems really do come from a practice of religious observance. And so when I sit and when I stand, the language is sort of modeled after a prayer called the Shema, which you should say three times a day. And you say it right when you wake up. Um, and so, or two times, anyway, in the morning and at night, sorry. And so, um, some of the language comes from that, but it's, it's just the rhythms and the patterns. When I sit and when I stand, oh, I'm sorry, this is on page 65. You Thank you. <laughs> when I sit and when I stand, when I awake and when I fall asleep, I'm thinking of it. It is a slight pressure on the stomach, the length of a finger. It is the sudden ambiguous movement as if from a field of zinnias, a kingfisher shot out of view before the eye could register it. It might not have been a kingfisher. It might not. I might have just imagined it. It could happen at any moment. I might have already missed it. It might not even exist, except in thinking about it, which I never do, except when I sit and when I stand, when I wake and before I fall asleep. When I go out along the road, when the chain comes off my bike and I yank it from the gears and lift the rear tire and guide it back on, when I wipe my hands of grease, when I run along the river, when I get home with my dirt streaked legs, when I'm grinding coffee, while I'm waiting for it to boil, while I'm selecting clothespins for the socks and snap them to the line, which will break sooner rather than later, and I say, This, too, will happen sooner rather than later. The laundry line has been repaired with plastic twine, with ribbons from boxes of chocolate. When I set the table, when I remove the plates, when the water is running from the tap while waiting for it to grow hot. Otherwise, I'm perfectly still inside my breath, which I send out into the world, which always comes back to me
0: another beautiful poem that is uh when i sit and when i stand from city of sky papers and i was wondering if you could explain a little bit your um, um your transition to Judaism because you you um i think you started out Catholic right and then had it and then mm-hmm. converted um what was it that drew you to that I, I was just curious
4: yeah i think that part of it was kind of what i said in that read in that first essay and um i kind of felt like i was squeezed out of I guess I'm a very embodied person, and and really I'm so affected by everything around me and, and my setting and 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 how my body feels in a place. And so I liked Catholicism so much. I love so much about it. I love the Catholic worker. I love the the chair. You know, we were very active socially. We helped i don't want to get anybody in trouble but we helped uh, you know illegal immigrants get mm-hmm. sick social we helped them get jobs they get fun. i mean we we're very active um, and i loved that so i felt bereft when i found that my body wouldn't let me be in church it felt like i was being you know abandoned or kicked out and it was terrible and i kind of was like dealing with it but when i started working in venezuela My job was to describe um, synagogues (laughs) for a book I was working on. And so like I had to go to a synagogue and that was money. And when I got into those, I loved that. I I loved that the services were according to the daylight, you know, they they changed time uh, depending on the season. It was just like being in a farm. And during the services, there was nothing that made me feel sick or like I was going to, you know, be sick or start crying. And so it was a place where I could be. Mm -hmm. And later on, I learned Yiddish and I learned Hebrew for my dissertation on immigrant writing in America. Mm -hmm. And my best friends were all religious. And so, you know, I just kind of slipped into it. And then I got, you know, Um, eventually I got the job offer in Israel. I I, I didn't feel like I ever thought it out. I felt like these things kind of just happened Uh to me. And the other nice thing about it was that I really liked that nobody cares what you believe. You just have to do like, you know, there's certain things you do. There are things you observe, there are communities that you can partake in or not, but nobody asks you how you feel or what you believe. That's your business. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that
0: too. Yeah. yeah, I love that too. I spent a summer with um, Orthodox Jews in Miami once. And, um, and that's just what I loved. I, I really loved that, the religion, too, because it was such a, I don't know, it's such a rich sort of, there's a freedom to it that, that's different than really any other religion. It, it you know, lets you take what you want and, and use it how you want. And there's a more personal relationship there, something that's really fascinating. Um, I'm mm-hmm. switching gears to sort of uh, craft-type stuff. I'm going to combine yeah. two a comment and a question here. Um, so, so first, Caitlin Bucks, um, um mentions that the feel. Oh wait, no, that's not the line. It's um, where did it go? Oh, it was Vicky Miko. That's why it was. Uh, she says, "Uh, Marcella's juxtapositions and transitions are incredible," and um, and then Paul Probol M asks, "To how do you realize that a poem is complete? Is there an endpoint you chase uh, for, or does it lead you to an end?" that was not decided. And I do wonder about that because you do have really, you shift um, topics and move around through almost like your thoughts, uh, the way thoughts might move. And and they're really great shifts between different topics and they tie together like like braids or something. Um, and, and a lot of times when we're critiquing poems um, for the Critique of the Week that we do on Fridays, um, people sort of take a wrong turn. And you can see it sort of like that the poem turned this way and then it ended up at a dead end. And and that was the problem really with it. The poem didn't go where it meant to go. It sort of, you know, took a, took a wrong turn. Um, and how do you guide those turns and make those transitions? And how do you know where a poem ends when you're moving like that?
4: Wow. That's such a beautiful question. Thank you. And thanks for the comments. Um, I think that the poems have changed so much from when I first started writing. When I first started writing, I wrote smaller, more contained poems. And I think that when I started the daily practice of running and writing down, my poems became more prosy or they became a little bit more like um, conversations or maybe even very expansive essays. I was also writing essays. And so I think that the turns come just because if you really pay attention to how you think, you don't think linearly Mm -hmm. you know you say something and you're especially when you're conversing and then five minutes later you're like oh man I should have said that or they said that And, and so in a poem like this you can throw everything in there and so I did when I go back most of the time I write a lot more than what the poem is I my poetry writing is really excerpting and so I, like I said, when I put things into form, I find that I want to keep the heart of, of each idea. And sometimes the juxtapositions are a little too wild and, and I have to rein them in. How I do that is I, I try to share them with, with folks. So I have a handful of readers and sometimes we do like call a day for a month. Um, and sometimes we just, exchange packets of poems and that helps when I know that whoa this is way you know this is like too much you know you can't connect the dots so then I know that I have to to dial it back um, my poems also take a long time to write so. I will write something and then I go back and I revise it and then it sits for a while and then I go back and revise it. Sometimes I send out and when it doesn't get taken, then I realize I have to revise again. But um, how do I end it? Um, I usually, I usually don't like to. I like to end when without tying things up too neatly. I mean, like in the poem Genesis, I did, I I was resting, but, but you know, that's, that's not a, that's not a profound, uh, (laughs) you know, thing to, it is profound. It's really profound when you're a single mother of a young child to just rest, but it's not like going to change the world. Right. So I try not to, to end on anything that's too weighty or philosophical or that, I I like a poem that has more questions than answers or that invites the thought to continue. Um, And so, yeah, I guess sometimes I think I have over edited, but I think that mainly it's, it's like farming, right? How do you know when a peach is ripe? You know, it just kind of is, but you can't rush it. You have to let it sit. And usually I will say this, that a poem is, done probably two drafts later than i think it is at first Mm -hmm. so when you think it's really really ready send it out do whatever but it's not probably really and and you'll revise it a couple more times sometimes it's published in one form and then i revise it to fit in a book and that's when it really feels like it's done Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense Some good Mm -hmm. advice i think we have time for maybe Mm -hmm. two poems left um, and, mm-hmm. and I was hoping you could read one of the poems, um, that's in form, but like crushed down into a, a just so we could hear oh. that and see it, how that happens oh, in sure. real time. That'd be interesting. Um, I don't know what the okay. best example would be, but, but whatever you want to do that does that. And then we'll talk a little bit more and then do one last poem, I think.
4: Okay. So I will look at, just going to see where I had pulled it up on my thing. Yeah. All right, so this is gonna be from City of Sky Papers. And let me find one. I'll just take the first one I see. And I think it's going to be probably, um, yeah. Okay, this is gonna be, I think it's page 35 or something like that. It's called um, Elsa, Schiaparelli, Mio Prada, Amalia and Mia Met. And this one was, um syllabic poem so you're not going to hear so much although mm-hmm. some of them were this was the syllabic poem that i crushed and then i don't know why the stanzas aren't even i think that this was a maybe a pay like um an editing issue and and so eventually the breaks you can't quite see but this was a syllabic poem mm-hmm. and it starts off with a quote by chaparelli With some difficulty, I obtained seeds from the gardener and these I planted in my throat, ears, mouth, Elsa Schiaparelli. I don't know if you saw, if anybody saw that exhibit at the Met, but it was really pretty amazing. To have a face covered with flowers would indeed be a wonderful thing. Bright metallic insects around the chosen throat and a spray of crinkled roses in the hair. To wear a shoe on my head, to cover my shoulders with monkey fur. My daughter is drying the clear plastic shoes with the plastic pink heels and plastic tiers of chandelier pendants, Prada, and the pink dress with butterflies. She pulls my journal from my hands. Write pink on top, she commands. All her models accompanied by babies babies and bellies and dresses like her father's wife, her favorite hats, the lynx head and paws with its jaw opens, blood on the chin. To have a face covered with stars would indeed be a wonderful thing, a constellation on your naked chest to have spilled a cosmos onto your dinner jacket to have been lifted by buoyant shoulder pads through ambiguity. Men respect strong women. They do not necessarily love them. Schiaparelli should know. I want to stay here forever with daddy, says my daughter. I know I'd love to stay here too. Not to go back at all again, I agree. To have a mouth full of seeds would be a wonderful thing. To be drowned, a throat filled with hard, shiny points like the mark left by the tip of a pencil, poised on a page. No, I mean to stay with Daddy. You can go back," said Miwachu Prada, the woman who wear my clothes very dramatically. Of course, I'd hope they were clever and interesting. I'd also hope that my clothes made their lives a little easier, that they made them feel happier. Not more beautiful, necessarily, just more of a person. Oh, if that's what you want, that's fine with me, I say, splaying the product quote across my notebook. Does feeling like a person make life easier, happier? Really, you just let me go away from you? As a paperweight, I was always being told that I was too fickle. As a placeholder, I was told I dressed too personally. There's no correct response. What do you want me to say? That to have a face covered with black netting, a doll hat, a chest, an armor against a moor on its aftermath would be a one would be a wonderful. To have a face covered with butterflies, to have butterflies on the stomach, across the shoulders, over the groin, over the kneecaps like scabs. I want you to say you would not let me go. They created hard chic, a naive chic, an ugly chic. And zipper means lightning clothes. Schiaparelli designs hers from electrical cords. I would not let you go. Some of Schiaparelli's buttons, naive, chic, are acrobats. Well, I'm going anyway. Goodbye. I like those best.
0: Okay. Excellent. And that was uh, Elsa Schiaparelli. Miucci Prada Amelia and me at the Met, and that was from "Mouthful of Seeds," actually. Um,
4: mm-hmm. um, so, and that's I think that's where the title comes from, actually, yeah, <laughs> from uh, that poem.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a wonderful title too. Um, so, so I want to make sure we get questions in. And um, Lonnie Amanka asks: um, the mention of a kingfisher in two of the poems that you read remind me of Olson. Is that a conscious reference, and if yes, could you say more about the connection and and just in general too, um you know we have these things that sort of keep coming up in our poems, which is, which I always find fascinating like and I always think think of it as like there's there's something about it in the subconscious that we haven't processed yet, and so we're trying to make make an understanding of something, and that's why certain things keep coming up so so how conscious are you of those kind of things those the two kingfishers that appear in two different poems? Um and, and it does have anything to do with Olsen, if if so, as uh as Lani suggests.
4: Yeah. No, Lani, it doesn't have to do with Olson. What it has to do, I guess, more with I'm not sure actually where Olson was seeing all the kingfishers, I guess, California, but there are a ton of kingfishers on the Archon River. And Every day I see them and they are the most astonishing things. I love to watch them fish because they just hover and then they just dive. And probably every time I run, I see three or four kingfishers. So it's probably more like that. Um, I think that one other obsession I have in my poems for the same reason is the uh, squill, the khatsaf, um that grows at this time of year, actually, it, it starts now and it's used to mark territory and time um, in ancient days. So those two things come um, a lot just because of, of where I physically am. And the other nice thing, you know, the shodag is how it is in Hebrew and it's the name also of a military operation, but I left the, the name in Hebrew because it's just to the fish, right? <laughs> For the fish, it's, it's, it's just so um, practical. And so I really like that, um, that image, but I guess it's, it's not Olsen. I'm sorry to say it's just that it's there all mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. Um,
0: well, we're just about out of time. Um, and I, I'm going to tell you, I thought on the fly I made a decision that I'd like to have you back as a guest just to focus on the translations. Cause you have so many interesting <laughs> things to talk about in, in these two books that are of your own work. I didn't want to, you know, give them short shrift and talk about translations too. So let's have you on again, like maybe in the spring or something and just focus oh, you on know, translations. Yeah. That'd be great. I
4: was all ready to talk about translations. <laughs> so I had this all ready to go. So I would be delighted to talk about translations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that'd be wonderful.
0: <laughs> uh, let's do that. But let's finish up with one uh, poem to close it out of your own, whatever you'd like to share last.
4: Oh my goodness. I wasn't even thinking of a, another poem. So I'm wondering which one I should do if I should do something from, Mouthful of Seeds or um, something. Do you have any suggestions? Um, something probably
0: next? something from Sky paper, City of Sky Papers. Because okay. um, I Good. think you did more from Mouthful of Seeds. But.
4: Well, I did that one big one. So, all right. Um, you did know you, what? Yeah. I think... Oh, should I do my other obsession, which is the giant white squill?
0: That's what I was going to suggest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs)
4: Okay. So this one also, unfortunately, is not inspired by any literary reference, but the giant white squill, it's um, called the Drimia maritima. This is on page 32 and it's an extraordinary plant because it grows pretty high. It could be up to six. Well, you know, they're at least five feet tall and Sometimes taller, and they have these tiny little white blossoms. And they their roots go really quite deep. And they were used in ancient times to mark borders. Hmm. They start to grow around September, and they also bring in the Jewish New Year. They come around Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. The giant white squill, Drimia maritima, or giant white squill, grows up to a meter tall along the rocky Mediterranean coast. It was used in ancient times to mark borders and boundaries and as both a poison and a remedy. Dear giant white squill in my little life, how your delight is always predicated on the death impulses of this world. Your practice of planting heavy feet, which we can see in the movement of your lightly scented wrists. In such a world, It is simplicity itself to be beautiful. I want to articulate you when I awake, before I go to sleep with my mouth and fingertips and thumb and photos and memory and future tense and all the tension in me and all your pressure points. This is how you crack the earth to thrust yourself up, to rise to my ribs and to my chin past my head and past my upstretched arms. How you frame the decay of the city's electrical plant. How the power and how the corrugated tin that blocks the little boats from drifting much beyond their strength into the violent engines. How you frame the airfields and the honeybees. How the green dragonfly hovers over you moving its transparent wings, and over us all, helicopters come in for their landings. Dear Squill, Maya gave me a blue vase shaped like your root, and open-mouthed, I too will remain full of your absence all day long. How I love these borders, membranes, points, lines, wind blurs, aforementioned transparent wings, and also all that stitches them to their nearness and distance and tears them out again as you do.
0: And that was Giant White Squill from City of Sky Papers. Um, Marcella, thanks so much for being a guest. I'm really looking forward to next time we have you on to talk about translations too because there's so much content there as well. Um <laughs> and that'll be wonderful, but, but you've been great. And, um, and I, we just love your work. So thanks so much for, for sharing it and, uh, and being a guest.
4: Thanks so much. This has been so much fun. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye. 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 Yeah. So that was, uh, Marcella Shulak with, um, two books. Let me put them on the screen one more time. Oops. There we go. It's the city of sky papers. Um, and just that beautiful cover. We didn't talk about where the where the um, title came from, so you'll have to um, get the book to to see that. And um, and then the other book just just came out last year too, from also from Black Lawrence Press's "Mouthful of Seeds." So Marcella had these two books um, coming out in the pandemic, which is always a little bit rough. So it's it's great to um, be able to share these and, and hope you can pick up a copy. You can find more of Marcella's work, all of her work, really, at her website. Uh, which is marcellashulak.com, which is spelled um, like it is on the screen here, M-A-R-C-E-L-A-S-U-L-A-K.com, marcellashulak.com. Two wonderful books, um, really interesting conversation too. That was a lot of fun. So um, we're going to take a quick break now and go to the open lines. And um, let's see what you have to share. But before we do, I'm going to remind you to do click the like button no matter where you're watching this. That really does help. So um, please do click like or click the heart or something. And um, that would be much appreciated. Now we're going to go to open lines going to get things set up. I'm going to put on a little bit of um, a screen here and a little bit of music. And um, just remind me before I do that uh, the way to do it is email your poem if you haven't yet to open mic. That's open mic at rattle.com. Email it right now so it gets to me in time, and uh, then we can show it on screen like we were doing with Marcella's poems as you call in. And to call in, you can pick one or the other: either the phone or Skype. Either is fine. Phones just just audio, and Skype can do video too. On Skype, it's Rattle Poetry, all one word. Send me a chat message there. Just wave and say hello. I'll say hi back, and you'll be in the call list. I'll call you back when it's your turn. Over the phone, it's the same deal. Just let it ring a few times, then hang up. The number is 818-850-7727. Just let it ring a few times, hang up. That'll get you on the call list, and I'll call you back within the next hour. And that's how we are going to do it. So I will uh, get things organized, and uh, I will see you back in just a moment. back. Uh, Thanks for your patience and let me stand up and stretch and get the poems organized a little bit. Um, Now the prompt for this week was to, let me put this on on screen here, it was a very simple prompt. It was to write a poem about unrequited love and um, despite the fact that it was a simple prompt, um, neither Megan nor I succeeded. Um, It was Megan's birthday this week so we were out partying I guess. Maybe that's our excuse. She turned uh, 25 let's say. And um, so it was a lot of fun, and we didn't get time to write a poem. I do have a poem, though, um, that I can share from my book. I haven't shared one from the book in a while. Here's an unrequited love poem. And um, this is about somebody else, though, or, or you know, just a story from somebody else. It's actually um, um, from my, my aunt's um, unrequited love story, which was interesting to me because it was the first time uh, you know, this was over a Christmas dinner or something. You know, everybody had too much wine and was uh, telling about, uh, sort of, sort of uh, making f- jokes about uh, my Aunt Luann's unrequited love story. And it was the first time that um, I kind of thought of, uh, you know, family members as like whole human beings or something, which is why it was an interesting moment for me. Here's a quick poem. It's called To Video" about unrequited love from, uh, from American Fractal. Tumanta Montevideo. We were double-sided tape, she writes, all adhesive. We were the hollow space the shell curls around, the wrapping that is the gift. Like children boiling tea from pine needles, it wasn't a thirst that moved us. You chased a soccer ball around the world while I chased the world. We were like your speech, blunt and broken, only as beautiful as it was meaningless. No way to say it more simply than that. As her new husband stirs upstairs, she folds the letter. Tongues the glue. There was two Montevideo, for my aunt who had a, uh, an unrequited romance with a soccer player. Um, and now, so Megan didn't have a poem either. I do have a I do have a haiku uh, for you too. Um, but let's see what you have to share. If you have your unrequited love poems, if you have um, poems that you've. Um, um, that you've published recently, we can promote and share and, and give a link to. That's always great. If you have news poems about current events, that's always great too. So anything you'd like to share, and uh, we have a lot of people. I think th- the Saturday mornings we get a lot more, um, um, you know, people online. It's a better time for around the world. I mean, not Saturday, Sunday mornings, I should say. Um, so when you call in, if i if you haven't called in before, um, just to let you know, there's a delay. So I'm going to call you up. The phone's going to ring. Hit mute or turn off your stream, wherever you're watching this right now, because otherwise you'll be confused by the delay. And um, let's call up first um, Jerry Stephenson.
5: Let me kill this noise in the background. Yeah. There, I shut you off to hear you live.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm so glad you could join us. Um, let me... Uh, so so what did you have that you wanted to share?
5: I did a poem on... Uh, actually, when it came across a piece on Jack Kerouac, how he's doing a podcast... It absolutely fascinated me, because he's been dead forever, right?
0: Yeah, What? so how's Jack Kerouac doing a podcast? That's interesting. I didn't, well, I that's that. the
5: whole thing. The article never really explains it. Some people got this idea, and I got that thing here on it. It's from the literary hub, the hub, and they're talking about mm-hmm. Kerouac podcast. They're doing, what I'm guessing, because I didn't delve that far into it, is that they're doing what Jack Kerouac might have said, mm-hmm. which totally grabbed my imagination. Interesting, yeah. Because I think Jack Kerouac... Is had a huge impact on our world that we don't ap- appreciate properly? And it keeps coming up in my world. So I wrote this piece called 1418 and a half Cloister Avenue, Orlando.
0: That's really true. Have you listened to the podcast at all Or just read the article I'm No I couldn't they...
5: find it oh, yeah. I, said, I thought This is so stupid It's worth a poem And yeah. all this Kerouac stuff Started haunting me So I dashed this stuff off And I Then I blasted off a copy to you I, yeah, yeah That was so funny Because
0: I was wondering If they have like an actor Playing Kerouac You I don't know I don't, I know, don't that...
5: know what they're doing <laughs> just, But I just I, I didn't know where to chase it and I I've had my granddaughter and daughter here for two and a half months this summer, having a mm-hmm. great time. So I've never had too much spare time to do this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I got into this, but Kerouac has touched me in so many ways in my life, I can't believe it. So I wrote, I wrote a little ditty about Kerouac yeah. in our world. There's always stuff, you know, history repeats itself, eh? Yeah. And yeah. I see all this other stuff going on, and I thought, you know what, Kerouac is repeating himself, we just haven't realized it yet.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing this. Go ahead whenever you're ready.
5: Okay, thank you. I'll start right now if you like. Yeah, go. Cool. Here we go. 14 and a half no, oh, sorry, 14, 18 and a half, Clouster Avenue, Orlando. That's where Jack Kerouac, um, they announced that on the road again became a huge thing, and that's where he wrote Dharma Bums. It's now a reading retreat, uh, a writing retreat. Route 66 stares me down as I glaze at first mindless at it, but I don't see, really see it. It comes as a vision with so many questions. Did Todd and Buzz share this dream? Did they dream an adventure or just victims of Corvette culture? Canned heat were on the road again. Bobby Trump sang about it, how, how it could kick 2,000 miles all the way. The biggie on the road brought out the best in Dharma bums. But I had a vision in that flash, that splash of truth ripped to the heart Dipped to my soul to the alley in Duluth. Sent Zimmerman to shake another beat to generate. He beat poets to new beat for beat poets. A Stratocaster cried. The band marched by. Some folks were never the same. Some folks claimed music died that day. Jack wailed. I'm not a beatnik. I'm a Catholic. The world gained a new vision. Maybe they could be Buddhists, too. Poetry, music, television, movies, radio, Internet, suffragettes, presidents and kings. Maybe we're all just the illegitimate children of Jack Kerouac.
0: Very interesting. Thanks so much for sharing that, uh, Jerry. And uh, that was 14, 18 and a half, Clouser Ave, Orlando. Um, I've actually never read On the Road, and this makes me really, reminds me that <laughs> I really want to. So thanks for, thanks for sharing this. It's, it's interesting. I got to find the podcast, too.
5: Okay, thank you very much for calling, Tim. I appreciate. It. Thanks again for all you do. Great show again today.
0: Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Glad you could call in.
5: Thanks. Bye. Bye, bye. Yeah, it was
0: uh, Jerry Stephenson. And um, let's see, we have a bunch of first-time callers, so let's do them first, and then we'll get back to um, some regulars as well. Um, and the f- next first-time caller here is at a seven two zero number, and we'll see who that is if we have the poem. Hello. Hey, this is Tim with Rattle, and you are live on the air. Who am I talking to? Lisa Gibson. Hey, Lisa, I'm so glad you could join us. And where are you calling from? Uh, Littleton, Colorado. Oh, great. Uh, let me see. So, so was uh, what poem did you want to share?
6: Uh, swimming in your ocean.
0: Okay, and was that a uh, poet's response submission?
6: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Let me uh, let me pull it up then. Um, so is there anything you want to say about this before you read it?
6: Uh, no, I just read it from the prompt from last week and, um,
0: yeah. Okay, cool. Well, go ahead. Whenever you're ready, I'll
6: I'll put it up. Okay. I did put an audio to it, but, um, yeah, I'm happy to read it.
0: Yeah. It's fun to have you read it live. If you don't mind, I could play the audio too. Yeah.
6: No worries. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'd given myself over to you. I meant to hold back, to stay safely on the shore. Instead, I allowed myself to get swept up and carried away into the consideration, tenderness, and desire being tossed my way. I let my feelings wander and did not contemplate the outcome, not once. Rushing after you like a child, chasing the ebbing tide, delighting in the moments the cool water would wash over my feet trying to clutch onto us even tighter, but being left with empty, salty hands. Swimming in your ocean completely changed me. Each time I ran out to meet the wave, I left a bit of me behind. In the end, I was exhausted and disenchanted with what I had done. So I left her with you. She has been yours to look after. You are my only connection back to her, the woman that I used to be, the one that allowed herself to chase the ebbing tides to hope, to dream, and to love.
0: Ah, beautiful poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Lisa. That was Swimming in Your Ocean, a great metaphor.
6: Yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah, I hope you can call in again soon. And where are you calling from again? I don't know if I asked the first time. I like to keep track.
6: Littleton, Colorado.
0: Ah, great. Well, I'm so glad you could join and uh, hope you do again soon.
6: Yeah, thank you.
0: Okay, bye. Bye. That was Lisa Gibson with Swimming in Your Ocean. Okay, but let's do um. Let's go to um Mohammed, badiwi if I'm saying that right. <clears throat> hey, Mohammed, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. And uh, where are you calling from? I think I hear myself in the background. So, so mute somehow. I it's just coming muted through. you. Okay, I gotcha. So, yeah, okay. you're good now. You're great. good now. Great. Awesome.
2: Uh, yeah. So, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Canada. I'm originally from Egypt. Ah. Great, yep. and and what did you want to share today? What or why? Uh, uh, what? <laughs> oh, what? Okay, I'm sharing a, a poem called uh, "Total Cardiology" or "Close Encounters of the Echocardiographic Kind." Oh, very interesting. Uh, a friend suggested that it fits the prompt, mm-hmm. so I thought I could read it. Yeah. Very cool. It sounds very medical. Are are you a doctor by any chance? I am not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do enjoy reading about medicine though. Mm-hmm. Oh, Very cool. Um, Anything else you want to say about it to introduce it, or uh, do you want to just jump right in? Sure, I'll give a very brief introduction. I had a heart exam a couple of days ago, a Mm -hmm. a routine exam, and um, it was boring for the most part. Um, But I decided to write about it, so I wrote about it on the way back, a bit more exaggerated, a bit more fun. It was a grim day, so this cheered me up.
0: Uh, Very cool. I'm looking forward to hearing this. Go ahead whenever you're ready. I'll put it up, but you have to read your own copy.
2: Wonderful. Thanks so much, Tim. Yeah. Okay. Close Encounters of the Echocardiographic Kind. It's raining today, and I'm out to examine the physiology of my heart. Is my heart broken, or am I just heartbroken? Ha, 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 I joked with myself on the way to the clinic. Total cardiology, cardiodiagnostics. What a name. Hello, dear. I'd like you to take your shirt off, please. Yes, doctor, I said, realizing this is the most intimacy I've had in years. Lay down on your back right here. I'm going to shave a few hairs off. I hope you don't mind. I truly didn't. Grabbing a scope, my doctor lubricated and gently pressed it against my chest. My heartbeat accelerated, and I feared this heartless, mindless machine would betray my trust, expose my lust for nothing more than human care, human touch, biological espionage. I breathed as best I could, as a doctor might imagine I would, tightening my body a little to appear somewhat presentable. I hope my doctor finds me in reasonable health, I thought. "'Oh, doctor, my doctor, my life, I lived in search of your approval. "'Say, what does this ghastly machine convey to your beautiful soul and your haunting eyes?' "'Swoosh, swoosh, swoosh,' it made a sound. "'And here is the blood entering your heart,' said my doctor. "'I laughed. "'It sounds funny,' I said. "'And my doctor agreed. "'A victory,' I thought. it "'I made my doctor laugh, and soon I'll do the same over dinner with you, my other half.' The doctor rests an arm on me and moves the scope across the beatings of my heart. Up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. Oh, doctor, my doctor, can we stay this way forever? Me, lying here, you with your electronics getting nerdy all over my body. I steel myself, take a deep breath and try not to fail this intimate test. Now I want you on your back and I'm going to look up at your heart. Look up at my heart, dear doctor. Look into my heart. Here, take my heart. Don't, don't, don't breathe out and hold. I'm holding, doctor. Holding, 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 holding onto you. You who knows me literally inside out. Now let's make sure there are no tiny holes in her. okay? Okay, doctor. But I hope you don't miss that big doctor-sized hole gaping at you. An ultrasound, ultra-bound to your magnificence. And now your neck. This is the blood leaving your heart, leaving my heart and heading to yours, doctor, you who knows me like no other, who sees past my visible light, who sends pulses through my flesh and reads me like an old map, my personal geologist. Oh, what a great discovery beneath these bones, warm blood flows. And we're done, says my doctor, who looks excited, me disappointed. You can use this gown to wipe yourself off oh, doctor, my doctor, that I will do, but there's no way I can erase this memory of you.
0: Oh, that was wonderful. Oh, that was so good. Total cardiology or close encounters of the echocardiographic kind. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. yeah, that was wonderful. And great, great reading too. Thanks so much for sharing
2: that. Thank you very much, Tim. It was uh, such a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I hope you can call in again soon. Will do. Thank you very much. Yeah, bye. Take care.
0: Yeah, so that was uh, Mohammed Elbad Wihi with uh, total cardiology. Really wonderful. Um, A lot of energy. I was smiling the whole time. Um, Let me see. Do we have... um... Okay, let's go next to then. Let's do Susan Talley. I think it's been a while since uh, Susan's been on. Hey, Susan. Yeah, you're live on the air. Thanks so much for uh, joining in and and sharing a poem. Uh, What did you want to share today?
6: Oh, it's called night vision, but it
7: should be, like, unromantic or something. (laughs) With a full moon and a clear night sky. I sent it in also. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I have it right here.
7: Okay. With a full moon and a clear night sky, there should be nothing better than holding hands, but hands that know how to caress cross like hockey sticks. Above the gray sidewalk, streaked with memory shadows, you pull ahead I stop to grapple with the man in the moon, and in the distance, silver-white beams
6: play in your hair.
0: Ah, very cool. That cool unrequited love poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Susan. Thank you. That was a short and sweet color, but that was a great poem. Um, Night Vision by Susan Talley. Um, Next up, let's call... Um, so we still have two, let's see, two um, unknown first-time callers over the phone, a 540 and 803. Let's do the 540. Let's see who that is. Uh, hello. Hey, this is Tim from Rattle, and you are live on the air. Who am I talking to?
7: Hey, uh, this is David Brunton.
0: Hey, David. Yeah, I see your uh, poem right here. And where are you calling from?
7: Uh, I'm calling from Richmond, Virginia.
0: Ah, excellent. And what what uh what do you have to share? Is it a a prop poem? Is it a news poem? Is it what is it?
7: Uh, so yeah, this is a news poem.
0: Mm-hmm. And and what was about what inspired it?
7: Um, it's about the uh, the loss of the war in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. there anything
0: you want to say about it, or do you want to just jump right in?
7: Uh, let's just jump right in.
0: Okay, I'll put it up on the screen here. There it goes. Okay, go ahead okay, whenever you sure. We have it. The day we lost the war.
7: All right, thank you. The day we lost the war was just like any other. Someone poured coffee, no cream, nursing a headache from the night before. Someone swept confetti from the street. Someone rolled in bed, pulling the covers from their sleeping lover. Someone else woke up alone. A homeless man pushed his cart from beneath the bridge. Someone cursed in the traffic above. The sun rose just like any other morning. Joggers laced their shoes as the neighborhood kids filed to the basketball court for it was the last day of summer. Someone smoked on their porch. Someone else called home for the first time in years. A church bell rang. A pastor greeted a crowd dressed in their Sunday best. A check bounced. Someone hung up on a collection agency. A teacher taped alphabet strips above the classroom door The police searched someone without due cause. Someone drove to the overlook, photographed the skyline. Yes, the day we lost the war was just like any other. A TV screened smoke from somewhere far away, far above the frightened faces. A poet scribbled a few lines, then thought of something else.
0: Yeah, great poem. Uh, It captures the same thing, um, you know, a similar thing that Megan Sterling's poem was. And, And so many of the poems did, just this... This way that, it, that things don't affect us. I mean, there's it's just, it's hard to even wrap your mind around how little things seem to affect us here. Um,
7: yeah, exactly. And it's we have a bad habit of sort of like exporting um, mm-hmm. violence and trauma to like the third world, um, quote, quote unquote third mm-hmm. world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know the the poem sort of like yeah, looking at that and culpability and complacency on like our part as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, th- thanks so much for sharing. That it was a great poem. I appreciate. it.
7: Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hope you can call again sometime.
7: Definitely. Okay. Thanks again. Yep. Bye. Bye.
0: Okay. Yeah. That was, um, David Branson. Oh yeah. And I have another person to call too. Let me get David Branson. So I totally forgot <laughs> that we had tomorrow Reed. read. I was going to, um, share. Let me see, David. I just have too much going on. I kind of forget what I have planned in the, in the course of the show. So, um, yeah, let me, um, let's, let's call up next. So it was supposed to be 15 minutes ago. I'm sorry to, sorry to keep her waiting. Um, we were going to talk to at the 30, we were going to talk to, um, Tamara Raid from France about her poem self doubt, which was the ekphrastic challenge winner for July. Let's call up Tamara right now. Hey, it's my, Hi. yeah. Thanks so much for joining me. Sorry. It was a little late. I, um, I had it on a sticky note to call you at 1030. And then, um, you know, <laughs> th- you know things ha- something's <laughs> going on, I forgot. But I'm glad you sent me a message to poke me and remind me there a little bit. Um, but yeah, so it was your poem that um, was the artist's choice for the ekphrastic Challenge this week. And um, I'll put the ekphrastic, um the image on screen right now for mm-hmm. everybody to see in case, you know, if you're watching at home and you haven't seen it. It's this photograph by um, Lynn Tate, um, which she called Waste. And it's this—it's this, it's this uh, sunset. There's smokestacks in the background. Looks like maybe trees and a shoreline, and then some kind of—I don't know if it's a—it's either a duck flying one way or a bat flying the other. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what it is. Um, but um, this was the poem, um, the, the, or the uh, the picture that Tamara was writing about here. So, um, so first of all, um, so so what was um, what was going through your mind as you as you encountered this painting to write the poem?
8: So many things. Um... You know, lately I've been writing a lot about um, uncertainty in the future um, and perception and reality. So I'm interested in uh, what do we consider being true or untrue? What do we choose to uh, be real or not? And how do we deal with our surroundings? So... um, yeah, I really wanted to play with the perception. And that's why it's also called self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, and by then, I think I didn't see or I didn't have the title, uh, Waste, which is also interesting because I didn't know what um, the artist's intention was at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just made my own thing out of it.
0: Yeah, that's what we always try to do. I try to hide the title. Um, to make you know, I don't, I and I even asked the if it's on their website, I ask them if they can remove the title temporarily so people don't get clues. Although people do sleuth around sometimes and, and find what the title is, but I don't want to lead people. into I, I like the idea of just the image. I'm inspiring so many different things, and um, and um, I don't know. And, and the self doubt poem, it's just a wonderful one. It was one of the ones that I was thinking of too, um, but she picked it before I could. Um, yeah, do you want to go ahead and read it? Sure. Okay.
8: Self-doubt. I am not a real poet, says the poet, writing about birds and images. A bird fluttering in a made-up horizon doesn't wonder if it belongs there. I am not a real bird, says the bird that is a figment of the poet's imagination. The evening sky has a peculiar way to be torn in pieces while still making sense. Take this as the best example of how human life is made. Have you asked yourself, who is watching the picture? If not you, the bird. If not the bird, you. Between both stretches, a moment of hesitation named sea. This whole scenery may be taking place in the synapse of a painter, but the brush hits you harder than the axe the frozen sea. Then... One sane instant brings clarity. There is no bird, just a dark spot on the retina that you wanted to mistake for something else. It isn't the sea. It is the memory coming back unwanted in the shape of the sea. The ones who have suffered will see it differently. Not a bird, but a plane and towers on fire. It is true. Trauma hits in waves. Of salt and sulphur, take this as a token for the uncertainty lying in things. Take this as the ultimate image of self doubt, an ethereal setting of a sunset, and a poet in the body of a bird, wondering if he belongs there
2: yeah
0: that 's just a wonderful poem, and um you know to answer the question in the beginning, i am not a real poet that is not true at all i 'm just a wonderful poem. Um, I, I, was so I, w- I was wondering. I was wondering. You know, you're um, in France. Um, um, do you speak French? is your Is your first language, and, and why write in English?
8: It's, yeah, it's my mother tongue, and I actually started writing at a very young age, uh, poems in French mm-hmm. and then short stories, and I still do. But then, at, at some point, I just wanted. You know, I feel more comfortable in another language. I don't know why, but. Yeah. Um, it's not the same relationship as the one I have to my mother, tongue. I am still looking for words. I am still, you know, like a child learning to speak sometimes. And I really like this part of uncertainty or or unknown. I still have in this language and I still have so many things to discover.
0: Oh, wow. That is so fascinating. I've never heard anybody um, say that or put it that way, but that's really cool. Uh, Well, I'm so glad you could write. It's a wonderful poem and and so glad you could write it and, and share it with us all.
8: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah. It's my pleasure. have a good rest of your night.
8: Thanks. You. Bye.
0: Bye. Yeah. So that was a tomorrow raid with, um, um, with a uh, self doubt. And, um, we'll try to get the other poet. We have a, we have another poet, um, coming up on Thursday, the, um, the editor's choice. And we'll see, um, if, um, if that poet who is, uh, remains a mystery until Thursday, um, if they can come next week and we'll talk about, um, their interpretation of this poem so uh, let's go back to the open lines and um let's see if um let's do vicky miko and um let's see yeah, let's do vicky miko because we haven't had vicky on video very much let's see if we get this to work hey vicky how are you doing today
9: oh tim hi, <laughs> hi. i did not expect that
0: <laughs> sorry Yeah, no, no problem. But uh, but I see you great, and you're coming in great. So um, let's share what you have have this week.
9: Well, I have two poems. Uh, They're they're kind of short. Um, First of all, I'm I'm going to look forward to the second interview with Marcella. That was great. Yeah, she was Um, wonderful.
0: And and I had mm -hmm. a whole bunch of stuff about translation we wanted to talk about, but we didn't even get. We were just. It was clear we were not going to make it to there. So um, it's cool to do another episode for sure. Because she translates, you know, many, many poets.
9: That's pretty amazing. Uh, So my first poem is the prompt, and it's called Love Matters. We can kiss it on the tongue, crush it full body, inhale the dust of its shaved skin, invite it to dinner, squint into the belly of it, its random relevance. Love can't be pretended, really, although it really can. Love can't love us back, or can it?
0: Oh, very interesting poem. And then there's these images. Um, This is some. Sorry, my
9: throat is just really weird today.
0: (laughs) Well, you you sound fine, so don't worry about it. Mine actually is, too. I was going to warn people that I uh, swallowed, I had too hot coffee last night. And I'm I'm pushing the. the, the cough button, but my throat is very irritated, instead of spitting out like I <clears throat> should, I swallowed it so <laughs> and oh <now, clears throat> anyway yeah, because I was sitting at my desk i should, I just didn't want to make a mess. I thought it was cool anyway um so these yeah so we have these two images there's a graffiti um, a wall with these love you know different um messages of love, and then love reduced is the second image here very I always I always love your photography and the way you use it and combine it with your poems. oh, well.
9: thanks. That first poem with, with the um, graffiti was taken uh, from the wall at the Baghdad Cafe. I don't oh. know if you know where that is. Oh, where is that? Yeah. I told my husband, we have to stop there on a road trip. And we did. And and this was one of the f- photos I took there. Wh- where is that? It's, um, it's way off um, California. Um, I think it's uh, Route 66, mm-hmm. the old Route 66, a um, border of California. Mm-hmm. You put me on the spot because I can't quite remember, but I know that it's it's a long ways off the freeway, so um, it takes a while to get there. But yeah. it's a, it's kind
0: yeah. of a eerie place. Interesting. Let's I've heard of it before. I, mean, I just can't place where where what I've heard about it. But but anyway, um, and, and so what is the other uh, the other poem you wanted to share?
9: Uh, the other poem is um, something that kind of creeps me out. <laughs> it's uh, I made up a word for it. Um, um, opticanoid.
0: Opticanoid, interesting. Uh,
9: so it's it's um, it, it's a prompt poem from um, they discovered scientists um, uh, made an eyeball out of uh parts of brains oh my gosh organoid oh, <laughs> so wow. that, which which i think is is just ghastly yeah yeah that really so is. anyway this <laughs> this is my this is my my poem um one brand new eye was his only wish so they bred him a lump of brain in a tiny dish
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> that is really cool. We're gonna, I'm going to have to read that story. Um, but another another cool uh, image, too, with this Haiga-type uh, poem. Thanks so much for sharing that, Vicki. Thanks. It's always a pleasure.
9: Thanks, everybody. Yeah,
0: bye. That was Vicki Miko. And then let me look at this article really quick. This is um, the article Vicki was writing about. This is from New Scientist. And um, I love New Scientist, by the way. It was, for a while, it was the only magazine I subscribed to. Tiny human brain grown in lab has eye-like structures that see light And there. Oh, wow. Look at that. That is the, um, if you, you know, if you're only listening to this later on the podcast, you can't see this, but you can, you can check out the article, a brain organoid with eye-like optic cups. And I don't even, I can't even tell you what it looks like, except it looks like a thing out of nightmares. Um, anyway, that is a two from Vicky Miko. Um, let us see what is next. We have, um. Oh, we have this 803 number, another first-time caller. Let's um, let's do the, this
2: 803.
0: Light. Hello. Hey, uh, this is Tim from Rattle. You are live on the air, but I hear myself in the background, so make sure you mute, and then I'll bring you in.
10: Tim, is Ted Goodbye. Hey, Ted, how you doing today?
0: Hey, Ted, how you doing today?
10: Uh, I'm okay. Uh, I thought I'd call in and listen to you read.
0: Okay, so would you like me to read this for
10: you? Yeah, please. Okay. Yeah, yeah, boy, you know clear and you
0: know eloquent at it. Okay, well, I definitely want. I'm very happy to. But this is um a prompt poem. The second, our theme song spun out of color. Is that the right one? Correct. Yes. Okay, great. Well, I'm so glad that you could uh, share this. I, I always love your poems. Um, and you sent a few. Do you want me to read both? Yeah, please. Okay, and and what is the second one? Is that a prompt? Second
10: one from a poem from the Nice book. Oh, great. Great, thanks. That is the last poem.
0: Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I'll read them both I'll, um and listen to it um on the air, okay?
10: Yeah.
0: Okay, thanks, Ted. Thank you. Sure. It was uh, Ted Guevara. And once again, I where is his book? I can't reach it from here. But um he's got his book, Nice, um, which he sent me a copy of. And if anybody would like to send me a copy of any of your books or anything, um, feel free. And, um, you know, we'll share them periodically and things like that, which actually reminds me of another thing that I had on my post-it note that I forgot, which we'll do after this. Um, okay. But let's share these, uh, these two poems by Ted, um, Bernal Guevara. This is, uh, that the prompt poem, um, the second our theme song spun out of color, it is no longer about us, this festering, There's no more skin to bubble from or blame to go in and out of. It's about time. These are the ruins of infatuation years ago, when it was clear the color of wine, definite red, definite white. We remember holding it up to the light. There's no glint now, even if we mix it with memory, drink to our current days of highlights, of distrust, of pain from the flesh, or hue control was another passenger who needn't be sat we piloted it long enough flew it as if it could heal the congenital of our love malformation at the takeoff we can glide we can glide it is not under our skin till we land we see others straightening even the mantle of their table their upkeep is always at their fingertips ours never felt lace texture Ours remain up like something put over. Finish is on hold. And in the dark, it falls sudden with no ferment. It sneaks out tasteless. We can glide. Very interesting poem, Ted. Uh, the second our theme song spun out of color. And let's uh, let's do the second one, too. This is uh, from, from Ted's book, Nice. Oops, what did I do? Okay, zoomed. There we go. This is um, The Stay and Move. It is evening, and I will pass again your distress by the table and chair. It is with the umbrella, my conscience, spines bent in the middle, so it can't open. My promise is like the grip of the doorstep. We never had to prop anything open. It has always been in the foyer, this unpacking of a bright day. But it is with the night that I place you deep within the house. In the living room I see furniture. You see obstacles unsettled in the plush. Both of us must weigh in. They're placed where they are, not only to give notion. We must give them covenant, their function, that in the space they're in we are also in. I have no fear of leaving, but I dread you being not in the room. Outside the door there is calm and there is whirlwind another very good poem by Ted. Um Ted's got this freestyle. I like the way he moves through a poem. That is stay the stay and move um, by Ted Guevara. Now we're going to get to more more um poets too. And I was going to share this, but we have a lot oops. We have a lot of um I have a um a broadside that Taylor Molly um sent to us, but I'm going to share that next week. Cuz we have a lot of open lines still and we're we're out past well past 2 hours now on the show. But um, we have Zachary Honeycutt and we have, um, um, let's see, we have Spartacus if he's still here. We have uh, Mike Bales. We have um, Richard Westheimer and Nivedita Karthik. If, if everyone's still here, I want to I try to get in as many as I can in the next like 15 minutes or 20 minutes or so. So um, let's go next to um, uh, Zachary Honeycutt. Hey, Zachary, you're live on the air. How are you doing today?
11: Good. How's it going,
0: Tim? Oh, it's going great. Um, so what do you have you want to share with us?
11: Yeah, I I emailed you. I got two sonnets today that kind of have to do with unrequited love that I'd like to share.
0: That that sounds good. Why don't you go ahead and just read them? We'll try to try to be quick about it. Let's uh, sonnet four and sonnet thirteen. Why don't you go ahead? Unless there's something specific you want to say about them.
11: Um, I like to say something about the second one, but let me read the first one. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Sonnet Four Upon a not so hot but humid day, I rediscovered her my fleeting thought. A girl to whom stood out on my mind's bay, yet not so out of reach for me, I thought. But on that day when we both breathed new air, I greeted her just as cordially then. Yet now her language, as if bound a snare, colder to me and tangled me again. And I could feel her frank, forlorn dismay, like an arrow her eyes to my gut did shoot. For before she swooned, and her smile leapt my way, now days between us, iron resolute. Wait, she tapped my desk and smiled as she passed. Intent like hers lies deeper than ships crashed.
0: good, Good end couplet there. Okay, so then, then Sonnet 13, what was it you wanted to uh, share about that?
11: Yeah, so this is Sonnet 13, yeah, no, um, this one, uh, I just really like, it kind of goes back and forth between the future and the past, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like the essence of the poem. It was about this girl that I knew in college, uh, that I used to walk to uh, to and from with cl- uh, to classes and stuff, and we both liked each other, but... I had kind of mixed feelings about her, and the poem kind of just goes back and forth between sorting out those feelings, and there's some good images and metaphors in there, so I just thought it would be appropriate for today for the theme.
0: Yeah, sounds good, let's hear it.
11: Okay, Sonnet 13. I recall that day when our eyes first met. You smiled at me from your ivory chair. And not one moment still do I regret the sweet memory of your being there. You waited for me with that eager stare. She thinks she's gravity. I cling to her. You knew your hair was blonde. Your skin was fair. As if she's the sun, I revolve round her. Empty space revolves round her and in her. There's too much debris between her and me. Her ego was big, then it got bigger, and she presumed our future history. She is the moon now, the side that is dark, and by her own words, she snuffed out the spark.
0: Okay, that was Sonnet 13, two, two poems by Zachary Honeycutt. Thanks, Zachary. It's always a pleasure to hear your uh, formal poems.
11: <laughs> Thank you. Hey, um, I just really quick, I wanted to give a shout-out to... Uh, what was her name? Um, Natalie Frias. Mm-hmm. I read her poem yesterday that you published. I, uh, the fifteen-year-old. I thought that that was really, really uh, cool. Um,
2: yeah, very yeah, creative. Yeah, I really
11: liked the end of it too. I liked how she uh, talked about a paper person's heart, and you know, like just the symbolism in that poem. I, I thought it was very prolific for someone so young.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely a very cool one. So go back, uh, anybody, and check that it was Saturday's poem on com, or check the um, 2021 uh, Rattle Young Poets Anthology. But, but thanks, Zachary. Yeah, no problem. Yep, bye. <clears throat> okay, let's see. There's um, still a lot of people on this call list. Let's do, um, let's go next to Carla Schwartz. If I haven't got to yet, I'm trying to get to everybody. We'll see if we can do it. Yeah. Oh. Hey, Carla, how are you doing today?
12: I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, uh, you know, waiting for the hurricane and um, <laughs> all this stuff. It's funny. Where Where is me... it that
0: you are right now? Are you still up in the northeast or are you... Um...
12: I am. I'm on Lake Winnipesaukee. Mm-hmm. So it's a tropical storm here. Yeah. And um, and uh, the winds, you know, are gusting. And, and so, you know, we have our boats tied up and all that stuff and trying to, you know, we're watching, mm-hmm. we're just watching it. I, I went out in it actually today Oh really? on my paddleboard and to swim. And it was there that I came up with the poem that I'm going to read to you today, which I, when I was thinking about unrequited love, I was thinking, Oh, it's sort of, it's an oxymoron, you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> no. yeah, it really is. Um. So, um, but anyway, I came up with this and, and I put it in a keep list and I shared it with you and I'm going to um, share it with you again verbally now.
0: Is this uh, Still Life with Rachel Price? Is that the right one?
12: That's right. Okay. Still Life with Rachel Price. Okay, yep, go ahead. Okay. If I have to be alone at night, let it be with Rachel Price to listen to her singing voice is to suck the sweet juice of a plump oyster, to stroke the petals of a coneflower, to sniff the dense aroma of some rare vintage. Here, behold the flowers, picked just this afternoon, the oysters newly shucked, peppered and lemoned, the wine poured, waits and breathes, Rachel's breath unheard through my tears.
0: Thanks so much, Carla. That was Carla Schwartz uh, with Still Life with Rachel Price. And I'm not familiar with Rachel Price. I'll have to look, uh, look oh, her Oh,
12: you will have to look her up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Her voice is amazing. Yeah. yeah, I was I was listening to her while I was swimming, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, oh, God. Anyway, yeah, yeah well, enjoy. Well, yeah, Take,
0: thanks so much for sharing that, and, and stay safe through the storm.
12: Oh, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Yep, you too.
0: And that was uh, Carla Schwartz, of course, and, and she is a uh, CB99 Videos. If you see that in the chat window, and that's a YouTube channel where she she posts things to. So check that out. Um, let's see. Next up, let, let's do on. Uh, let's call up Nivedita. See how Nivedita's doing, and she has two small poems for us. Let's see what what they are. Hi, Nivedita. Up your sideways though. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Okay. There we go. That that works. Hi. Yeah, yeah, you're good. But now I don't know if you can read your poem. Is it is it on um, is on the screen you're looking at?
13: I'm oh, no. oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's on a different screen. No worries about
0: that. Excellent. So how are you doing? How 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 have you been? Uh,
13: I'm doing good, thank you. I finished traveling and I'm back home in Delhi now.
0: Ah, great, great. So glad that you have some safe travels. Um, <clears throat> what did you want to share with us?
13: Um, I have a small prompt poem and a small poets response poem, so anything works?
0: Yeah, sure. Let's do the prompt poem first. That's the one I happen to have up, and the unrequited love one.
13: Uh-huh. Every time I see you, you melt a little, and my heart skips a beat. Every time I touch you, I'm surprised anew by how soft and pillowy you feel. Every time I think back on you, I realize how firm you look on the outside, but so soft on the inside. Every time I come close to you, I'm torn by my love for you. I'm so close that I can see you, smell you, touch you, and you let me. Yet, you don't love me enough to love me, taste of you. Oh, how I love you, my dear sweet chocolate cake, and I wish you loved me too, diabetes and all. <laughs> and the title is The Diabetic's Letter to the Love of His Life.
0: Yeah, I was waiting for the punchline. I was wondering, what is, what is this going to be? I know you too well. <laughs> I knew it's, it was coming. This again,
13: it's, just, it's just an imaginary poem. So I absolutely adore chocolate <laughs> cakes and I will eat them to my heart's content. Yeah. It's like, everybody's going to go serious. And you know me, I always like mm-hmm. funny stuff and punchline is my go-to. So it's like, let's just do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we always appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much for sharing that. And then the other one was a prompt po- or um, uh, news poem. So what yeah. was this about?
13: So it's about this walrus that's been wandering all around Europe. It's literally going on, I assume, an almost round-the-world trip. It was spotted in Spain and then Italy and then UK. Now it's in Ireland. Uh, it's sort of finding pontoons and boats to rest in, but ends up crashing them. So now the island uh, government has decided to sort of make a couch for it to rest on <laughs> in in the ocean. So it's it's again a weird and bizarre news story.
0: Uh, well, we see the walrus they're climbing on a boat. Um, and this is from um, upi.com. Walrus on Irish coast to get a floating couch after sinking boats. Uh, another, another interesting story um, from the from the world of strange stories. Um, so check that out, uh, everybody. I won't, I won't play the video this time, but um, let's just hear the poem. Go ahead whenever uh, you're ready with that.
13: The travel restrictions no longer apply, as clearly evidenced by the shenanigans of a certain Wally, A walrus bitten by the wanderlust bug. He's journeyed to Spain and Italy and the UK, now in Ireland for a brief pit stop before heading on to who knows where. Wally is resting, comfy on his couch in the curve, watching sunrises and sunsets and the world go by before the next swim on his round-the-world trip. And it's titled Wandering Walrus. That's great. So, So he's been to all those places?
0: He's been all over Spain and Italy and things? Wow. Which is
13: why I said he's apparently, at least if not around the world, around the Europe trip, I assume he's planning to do.
0: <laughs> wow. I didn't know they had, and I didn't know walruses were, were in the, the ocean there in that in that region. That's it's bad.
13: actually also last week's news story, mm-hmm. that he'd come to Ireland last week. And this week, I think he's sort of sunk too many boats, so they decided to build him a couch. So he's been in Ireland for about a week now.
0: Oh, wow. That's, that's interesting. <laughs> so I've already got to go check out that, that uh, news story. Thanks, Nivi, for sharing both of those.
13: Thank you tim it's lovely
0: talking to you have a nice Same day here. yep good night let's do uh, joseph nolan and we'll try to be quick about it too hello hey joseph how are you doing
10: good tim how are you
0: i'm doing great great to hear you it's been a little while i i think it says since april that you're on last so i'm glad you could call in and share another poem what do you got for us
10: wildfire
0: excellent anything you want to say about it? it kind of sounds self-explanatory based on the title
10: Yeah, California wildfire's ongoing fire season. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, go ahead whenever you're ready, then.
10: Okay. Wildfire. A quiet, silent ember burning still beneath the mounds of ashes on the blackened hill. Black posts, stripped of leaves and green, screaming in mute witness to cruel rage of flames. Birth and growth and life, ruined in an hour's flying fire for the wind. The whipping, driving gale in homes brought down the concrete slabs with only chimneys standing. A quiet, silent ember burning still, waiting to return when given will. From rain gone short and grass grown long, Waiting to return in crackling song.
0: Excellent, Joseph Nolan. Always love the way you read that uh, that uh, half singing version of it. Great poem and, and great recitation. Once again, I'm, I'm glad you could call in again.
10: Thanks, Tim. See you later. Yep.
0: Have a good one. And that's going to have to uh, wrap up the callers today. We're over two and a half hours now on the show. So if, everybody, if I didn't get to, like um, Mike Bales, I'm sorry, and T.R. Pelson, Jay Langford, Richard Westheimer, you have a poem for next week at least. So hopefully um, you can be maybe take a brief week off um, from writing a new poem or, or just share what you wanted to share this week, next week, or, or whatever. Um, so really quickly, I don't want to worry over time, but my psycho for the week uh, was based on this story. From um, uh, what was this from Virginia Institute of Marine Science? Uh, Speaking of eyeballs, this here's another picture of a this is a fish eyeball. But um, the the article is cloud shadows cue mini migrations, and it's about this um, the great migration, which happens every day of um, these little marine invertebrates from different layers of the water column from the twilight zone into the daylight side, because they have to feed where food is. But if it happens during the day, they get eaten. And what this study found is that these little, um, you know, zooplankton and things uh, who do this daily vertical migration up the water column and back down to avoid predators, um, every time a cloud passes by, they shift too. And so end up using a lot more energy than we expected. Um, So it changes the energy balance. Calculations and what we think of is, is how much is consumed and things like that, just because every time clouds go over, they recognize changes in the uh, light coming through the ocean um, as small as about 10% difference in light, enough that you don't really perceive it on the surface. But it makes a difference, and they swim down, or, or swim up to feed more when it gets darker and swim down when it gets brighter. And um, so my psycho, really quick about that, was right here. Your Saiku for today. Right now, Just a passing cloud shadow. Right now, just a passing cloud shadow. That is my Psyku for today, and that is the show for today. Thanks, everybody. It's been a really wonderful one, actually. Great poems on the open lines. Um, Marcella was wonderful. Great Poets Respond poems early on. Um, Seems like a long time ago. It's been a long episode. Um, But just wonderful stuff. So thanks, everybody, for being a guest uh, and for joining in, calling in, sharing stuff, sharing comments, watching. It's always really a pleasure to do these. Um now next week's guest is gonna be Brendan Constantine, who if, if you're an LA poet, you definitely know. If if you've you know been in the area and know the LA poetry, you definitely know Brendan Constantine. He's a legend. We interviewed him in the LA Poets issue of Rattle, which was number fifty-two maybe. Um, but he's sort of the the perfect LA poet. Is his his comes from an acting background, his family were were um actors. Um, he 's a great performer, just wonderful poet and teacher he 's one of those people that I think i don 't understand why he 's not nationally well known and one of the people who wins all the awards and things. It might just be because he 's a, a a school teacher and not an academic participating in all the things where the awards are generated. Um, but his newest book is Dementia, my Darling. He also does things like teaches um, poetry um, in, in in elderly care centers, which is what dementia my darling is about um, he 's a whole new manuscript though. Uh, but he's reading mostly from that. But he's just a wonderful poet. That'll be Brendan Constantine, rattlecast number one oh eight. And the prompt for next week is going to be a portmanteau, or portmanteau. I think you'd say portmanteau is a blend of two words that combines their meaning. For example, brunch, which is breakfast and lunch, spork, um, and sitcom, or portmanteaus, and portmanteau is a portmanteau too. I think. Uh, write a poem containing one or more Portman and feel free to make up your own, which will probably be most of the fun. So that is your prompt for next week, uh, Portman And the guest for next week, once again, is Brendan Constantine. And that'll be Rattlecast number 108 at the regular time, Sunday, August 28th, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Wait, no, I wrote the wrong date down. I gotta change that, uh, that flag. It's Sunday, August 29th. Um, I, didn't, I didn't add the math wrong. So Sunday, August 29th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, Brendan Constantine. Uh, we'll see you then. Hope you have a great week, and I'll see you on Friday for the Critique of the Week too. Goodbye.